This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. When you play 82 games, things can get stale at times, and you know we're coming on the West Coast, but it's situations like this sometimes that can snap guys into place, and it's something new. It's clearly not ideal, but but it was impressive by them all. And I know Hedy had was the minute leader, but you know Cal Floyd hasn't played that many minutes in the NHL before, and performance of Sergey and, and Mac that was uh, yeah, pretty impressive. What? What? Cool. <laughs> nice sound, man. Was that good? Was that good? Where did you conjure that one up from? I don't know. I don't know. Probably watching. That was that was TV. the middle of the night cleaning up <laughs> bodily fluids sound oh, that you channeled for man. 12 noon. I tried. A few days I after. Tried. Steve, what was that? I know Steve's there. That was the post game from Coop, the LA Times Zoom or LA King Zoom room. What is with very good. some of these zooms? Like Canada's atrocious, mm. and you know, you figure we'd have the technology to just. Didn't we have? Didn't we have some problems? Which game was that where where you had to cut out of the audio in the post game? Was that a home <laughs> game? They're all it running together. You know they are. It might have been a home game. No, you know what? It was. No, it was game. a road game. It was an away game because I remember okay. texting Steve. I said, "Listen, we tried to play some of it, but I just like, look, we got to cut out of that. That is just awful." Yeah, we've been well, doing this two years Buffalo now. You think then, people right? can figure this out? Yeah, come on, let's let's invest. It had Not to have us. been the Buffalo game then, because that was the last road game before the California. Well, trip, Buffalo right? is kind of like Canada, so there is there are issues <laughs> yeah. there. So Touche. Touche. But um, by the way, before you get into <laughs> whatever we're gonna get, what into. we're gonna talk about, we have a lot to talk about. New yeah. schedule came out. Yeah. yeah. Got Brian Engblom coming. That'll be. Fun. I know you normally tee up the guests, but but Brian will be oh, joining us. At twelve thirty, so I just popped on. I have not been on really any news feeds this morning. I had other stuff going on, so I just popped on. Like, hey, do let you me feel take a better for here. it, though? Do you feel better for it? Well, yes. I, I mean, I don't spend a lot of time on it, but it is useful, as we've talked about, to get up to date news quickly. Yes. Steve was telling us about a raised press conference that's that's coming up, which I didn't know anything about. So, for example, had Sources I been... Sources have told us. Had I been sniffing around, I probably would have heard about that. But yes. this this is kind of amusing because one is right after the other on my timeline, but they are not chronological. So Bruce Garriock, who covers the Senators, mm-hmm. 54 minutes ago, Anything can change before Premier Doug Ford appears at 11.30 a.m., but it doesn't sound like there will be any lifting of capacity limits in Ontario for the NHL, OHL, and AHL. That means games will be continued to be played in empty rinks. I read that. I'm like, oh, that's that's tough. Because we had talked about yesterday, like, would some of these Canadian teams start to get fans in? Would that affect how the schedule would look during the Olympic break? Right underneath it. Right underneath it. Elliot Friedman, 10 minutes ago. As per Ontario government, Ottawa, Toronto will be allowed 50% capacity on February 21st and full capacity on March 14th. So Bruce had a pretty bad scoop there. (laughs) Like, the one says one thing, and then right underneath it, Elliot waited for the press conference and relayed what was reported which was not exactly contradicting, but mostly contradicting the previous tweet. But isn't so that beware a... the premature tweet. Listen, that is a I very important right. lesson. And this is this is the downside, I think, of social media today, but I think in the world we live in. I think you can make that case what we're all struggling to deal with over the last few years is just what to believe and what not to. And so you, you can find it to... The pandemic and you and I were talking about like the CDC yesterday and mm-hmm. altering maybe some of the things that they had talked about earlier. And I think that's part of the problem. And I think a bigger part of the problem, and we can bring it back to hockey when it comes to Canada and the US, is that, you know, governments, let's put it this way the CDC, World Health Organization, they can come up and say, look, here are some of the things we had been doing. Here are the things that we recommend because we're going to change course because yeah. what we have seen, things are changing. And like you're starting to see this over in the UK with masks and, and different things like that, that they're starting to get a little bit more research and people are now maybe switching what their initial belief was. But Dave, the, the question, and I think the biggest conundrum through all of this, 
they can recommend all they want and they can advise and say we we say that you know maybe you guys should be doing this rather than doing this now it's up to government to implement those and go off of some of those recommendations and as we have seen i think there is a pretty there is a pretty big divide with what's going on in canada compared to relatively speaking what's going on here in the states so if they come back and say look you know we think you know, if you want to get a booster or you're not for the booster or whatever they recommend, and let's say the United States starts to implement certain things and they start to change their course of action based off of guidelines, but Canada chooses not to, there's not much you can do. No. You know, that's so why that's, the league, yeah, that's why the league put into their revised testing protocols and 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 the quarantine i mean it wasn't the testing protocols but when they came out with the shorter isolation period back after christmas but you know before we we kind of got into into january deeper into january you know it said it's it's contingent on what the local governments right. have in place and, and i mean so they can't overrule what a uh, federal government or a regional government has in place for a specific community. Right. So that's why, like, it is interesting. You have this sport that operates in two different countries, and the two different yeah. countries have different government that, like, for instance, I don't think there's nobody in the States here that's operating at 50% capacity. Correct, no. With attendance. And I, I've got to think the NHL, Dave, we, you know, we talked about this yesterday with kind of the the – predicament the lightning were in because of the cap issue that affected their game most recently and the league is coming off a couple of years where every dollar matters and i'm sure you know loosening the guidelines a little bit when it comes to testing and, and protocols in part they want people not only you know to continue to play these games but for people to show up because that means more revenue and we know that the teams in canada are suffering maybe even more than teams here in the States when it comes to lost revenue. And I'm sure the NHL can't be excited when they see what's going on in Canada in terms of the buildings and the revenue and people going to games cut in half compared to what's going on here in the States. It, it's I'm saying it's a tough thing, but yeah. there's not much Gary Bettman can do outside of like, well, okay, what's what do we need to do here to get you guys to to get going and get full capacity? Well, so this is really a glass half full situation because the glass empty would be if Bruce's scoop was correct, which is we're just going no attendance indefinitely. Yes, that would have been. This is not that. <laughs> it's still only half full, though, because it is zero attendance until in Ontario, by the way. This does not affect Montreal. It does not affect the teams in Alberta who are already at 50%, but this is specifically for Ottawa and Toronto. It's zero attendance until February 21st, and then 50% until March 14th, at which point they're going to go full. That's better than zero indefinitely, but it's not it's not as ideal probably for the league as 50% earlier <laughs> and full earlier. And I was curious when the schedule came out yesterday, the revised schedule, and I can actually go team by team here. So I'm going to go to Toronto. So hold on here. I noticed it in Montreal, but I think Toronto is the same way. What are you, you're looking well, at it's not as bad. So what I wanted to see was how many home games are going to be rescheduled earlier in the break. Like, the league had so much to do in terms of the the matrix. It wasn't just as easy for them to say, let's, let's try and help out Montreal, Toronto, and Ottawa as three examples as much as we can and push their uh, rescheduled home dates to as late in this window as possible, which maybe if they had had this release yesterday or a week ago, they would have done that. If they'd known that on February 21st they were going to get to 50% capacity in Ontario, maybe we would have seen home games for Toronto and Ottawa not in the earlier part of the break, but that is not the case. So I'm looking at the Toronto schedule, 
They have one game, and I'm just going to start after the All-Star break. Toronto got one game moved before the All-Star break, but that's going to be a zero attendance game regardless. So they have one home game immediately after the All-Star break, and then two more before this February 21st date. So that's three home games where they're going to have zero attendance plus the one before the All-Star break. They would probably like to have had those games be later, but that's not the case. Ottawa is even more severe. So I'm going to count the home games here before they even get to 50% attendance. February 21st. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven games they have that have been rescheduled at home for Ottawa where they're not going to have any fans in the building. Now, they don't have as many road games to reschedule, so the league was kind of in a bind there. But I wonder if the league would have liked to have had this information maybe they did who knows maybe they their hands were tied but that's a lot of home games that Ottawa is going to be making up during this window kind of at the beginning of this Olympic break rescheduled segment that they're going to have zero fans but well and here's what can they do like to your point what can they do they can't do anything except they could have tried to push as many of those home games down the road as possible but you reach a point where you just need to get these games in. Well, I guess the other, my my bigger question, and Dave, I, I got to be honest, like Montreal and Ottawa, looking at teams in the East, and then you look at the teams out West, you know, maybe Edmonton, although I think Edmonton's pushing, Vancouver pushing. Mm-hmm. There are a few more teams in Canada in the West that are close to a playoff spot. And by the way, Greg, just yeah, uh, just yeah, so you know, Montreal, which is under a different province, so they're in Quebec, they have seven home games scheduled during the Olympic break. Seven. And, and what did we say they were operating at what? Zero. No, uh, okay, so what I'm saying is those teams aren't going to make the playoffs, which means there will be no additional revenue coming in from going to the playoffs. For Ottawa and Montreal. Mean, correct, which yeah. means if you are going to restrict the number of people that go to a game to 0%, even if it's just for a few more games— Dave, is it going to be the league's responsibility next year to help them out if they're really struggling financially? I would like to have an honest conversation to see where these teams are financially. Maybe we can't get those records. Maybe, But what I'm saying is, how do you survive? How do you survive? Well, I think the Canadians, based on their infrastructure, and what I mean by that is their... I mean, maybe they are losing season ticket holders, but and they did get to the Stanley Cup final last year, which is a great way to to they sell did. tickets. They did, but and, they, and, they and even and had limited number of people. They did, the but but there was great enthusiasm there for was. the team, and they have those those baked into the the formula television deals where they have deals both in French and in English, which which will certainly help them. Ottawa's in a different boat because they have struggled relative to some of these other teams with attendance, and the team has not been good for a number of years. But I think that Ottawa fans are smart enough to see that the team is getting better as well. Whether they have zero fans or 50% or full attendance, you know, this is a young, fairly exciting team but if you don't have the that money is trending in the right them, direction. If you don't have any money to keep them and you're going to be constantly in this rebuild mode, because right. you've lost gate revenue over the last few years, and in some ways through no fault of their own, they had just happened to live in a country that I think that's more restricted when it comes to this. It's going to affect your on-ice product. Well, that is true, but I think the bigger concern, and maybe your point is a good one, maybe I should be thinking about the individual teams because they're losing this revenue potential, but I think the bigger concern is the the overall number that will affect the salary cap. Because zero fans in Montreal, zero fans in Toronto, zero fans in Ottawa, 50% in Calgary and Edmonton as we speak today, and zero fans in Manitoba too. I mean, Winnipeg is in the same boat. I don't know if they're going to get some of these restrictions lifted. Maybe now that Ontario has made a statement, we're going to start to hear statements from the other provinces too. But that takes away much of this, not much, but some of this projected revenue that we heard about from Gary Bettman earlier this year. I mean, Dave, there's one. Now, this could change. because That's I, a big said, blow that's, for the it's league. A big blow. There's a bunch of Canadian teams in the West that are knocking on a playoff door. 
Right now, here we stand, there's one Canadian team in a playoff picture. And that's Toronto. Mm. Now, that may change. Yeah, it may change. I think they should just lump all the Canadian teams in one division and just let them play. I'm, I'm of the opinion now. I think just lump them together, let them play. And if you want to play in an empty building, you play in an empty building. But um, you're talking about next year yeah, for next year. For next oh, OK, year. That's <laughs> say, for next year. the poor yeah. folks that had to put together this no, revised no, no. schedule no, no, are ready year. to tear their let's hair just, out. Let's just do the Canadian teams in, in one division and you can call whatever you want. And, you know, we're trying to, to figure out things here as we move forward with covid. That is Greg Lanelli's petition to the league. Just put all the Canadian teams in one division. Well, they they did that last year. I don't they think did. that is going to happen as much as I appreciate your your passion, your candor. On this topic, can you imagine what Connor McDavid's numbers would look like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a shot. I, I think that Canadian team. So, so look, I think a couple of things, and I just saw this literally as we were coming in the air. I saw the the timeline. I was, I was a little tickled by that. Not that I, I wish Bruce Garriock any kind of. He, he doesn't really get embarrassed. So, I mean, I, I don't think that that's really an emotion that he feels. But I was like, really? These two tweets back to back where one's been contradicting more right? the other. <laughs> and the one that I saw first was actually farther back. So I should probably adjust my feed so I'm getting them in chronological order. I wonder if you can go back. Funny. I but I saw back. that. So I haven't really had a chance to process the news. The news is that Ontario now has a policy in place. And a roadmap. So I think two things. First of all, the other provinces are probably going to be following suit here with similar types of announcements. And then, you know me, I always try and look on the bright side, to quote Monty Python, maybe. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, you like that one. I do. I do like that one. It's not like they can't change their mind as well. So let's say in the next couple of weeks, case numbers start to go way down in yeah. their region. They may say, you know what? We had set this date at 50% for February 21st. We're going to bump it up. Right. I mean, they could do that. There's no reason they couldn't. But I think that they're giving a roadmap is is a sign that that's the first domino to fall. Yeah. And I do think that we're not looking at empty glass here because at least – we have we have a I date guess. where fans yeah. are going to start coming back in the building. You may be right. I, I, just, I mean, like in Canada, aren't they like double vaxxed and triple boosted? And I mean, I, they they should be. I don't know. It's to me, it's just a it's a conundrum. But that, look, that's for another show. And if anybody from Canada who listens yeah. chimes in, you can do that at Bolts Radio. What well, I took out of the schedule yeah, that came out yesterday, yeah. though, was that the league either chose not to or simply couldn't basically help out these Canadian teams by by giving them road games earlier in February and home games later in February. Yes. That is not the case. But as it turned out, you know, a lot of these Canadian teams, most of the games they have to make up are at home because they got pushed. Yes. Back in January, I mean we're still in January, but you know, since Christmas they've been they've been pushing these home games. And for Calgary before Christmas, but Calgary had a COVID outbreak and they were in a stretch in their schedule where they simply had a lot of home games. So Calgary has a lot of home games to make up. Lightning only have three, though. Well, I was gonna say, and now we know the dates. Yeah, as it pertains to the Lightning, it looks like so yeah. the 10th, February 10th, 11th, and 15th. Those are Not bad. And you want to know why I think it's not bad? Because Some. the three games were not right after the All-Star break, which would have given the Lightning basically like two weeks with nothing. Yes. But it also wasn't right at the end where they also would have had two weeks with nothing. So this is this is kind of in the – it's not directly in the middle, but, I mean, the All-Star game is, what, the fifth? The fifth. The Lightning play yeah. in the first. Right. So for the players that aren't being going to be doing anything during the All-Star break, February 1st to February 10th, and then you have the 10th, 11th, and the 15th, and then after that, after the 15th, the Lightning play Edmonton at home. I'm looking at the exact date of that game. That's the 23rd. The 23rd. So that's and the then... 15th of the 23rd. That's that's a break at the beginning and a break at the end, but not one that's going to be like two and a half weeks or two weeks. I think that that's, that's probably as best as the Lightning could have hoped for. They're going to get some rest time, they're gonna be fresh. but they're not going to be off for so long that you worry about what kind of what kind of rhythm are they going to be in when they come back? 
honestly, you know, the first thing I thought of when I looked at this schedule in February is, is Brian Elliott even going to play? Now, I think he gets a back-to-back, maybe that 10th and 11th, but you could, yeah. you could make an argument that Vassy gets a few more days off than he typically would, that he could play every one of those games. Elliot's I mean, going to get Elliot's going to get games in March too cuz the schedule is really busy in March. I would say Elliot gets that game against Arizona. And I'd say Vassy plays the rest of that schedule in February and then obviously we know it picks up in March. Mm-hmm. And Elliot's probably going to get one of the games this weekend too. You would think. Anaheim San Jose back to back. But it was funny because, you know, some of the questions surrounding the Lightning and there aren't many before the season starts is what is the workload? And that's kind of baked into the cake a little bit. I think the coaches know that's going to be asked. And because Vassie plays a lot and what he did in the playoffs the last two years, you want to certainly preserve him because a good Vasilevsky means you've got a good chance of winning the cup. But I think the way this schedule, Dave, has played out with the postponements, with the breaks, Vassie's probably going to be as fresh as he possibly could considering the amount of games he's played the last couple of years. I think that actually works to Tampa Bay's advantage. Now, as you mentioned, it, it, it definitely picks up in March and April, and you kind of get back to the typical grind. But from now until then, I think you can make a strong case that this team not only will have a pretty fresh goaltender, but for the most part, a pretty fresh team. And anybody who is nicked up, honestly, there should be no excuses that this team shouldn't be healthy, ready to go come March and April with a full roster. Well, I mean, you can get injured in games. Of course. So okay. when you Assuming say... Assuming there's none. Assuming yeah, I would say coming out of this break, you would hope that most of the injured players are feeling good. And the players that are not quote-unquote injured, but maybe hurt, there's a difference. You're playing through some some bumps and bruises. Maybe they'll get a chance to to have those heal up a little bit. So this, uh, the by the way, this is a, a side note, guys. Uh, we, we mentioned the Rays. Mark Topkin just had something he tweeted out. Rays season sharing plan with Montreal killed by Major League Baseball. Search back on for a full-time home. That was just the headline. It's funny. Okay. I was We were talking about that before the show, and I said, could Major League Baseball step in and just say mm-hmm. no? And, you know, sometimes we think it's just the, the individual franchise and the place they want to locate to where they have to come up with an agreement. But I guess Major League Baseball said, you know what, we tried it once, maybe it didn't work, and uh, no, you've you've got to find another place. So that story is ongoing. Well, baseball has been supportive of the plan, but they're also in a new CBA negotiation right now, and it's possible the players said, yeah, not happening. That was the question I had when I heard about the plan. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much, you know, the, the 21-year-old – single ball player who's like i just want to play wherever whenever (laughs) i'll go anywhere Mm -hmm. you know what about the ball player who's got a young family or maybe not even that young but but school age kids yeah good point that's that's not easy to relocate midway through the year i don't know how it would have jived necessarily with school being off so maybe you're not having to enroll in two different schools but Things get more complicated mm-hmm. when it's more than just you. Yeah, the plan had kind of morphed to basically when school's in, you're in Florida. When it's out, you're in Montreal. Okay, so they tried to address that. I mean, the details hadn't been worked out because that was way down the road of everything else that had to be worked out right. first. But, but weren't they going to be playing in Montreal in the second half of the year? Well, that was September? the initial plan, and then it kind of morphed to maybe they're back here in September instead. It, it was it was fluid, let's say, because I mean, OK, you know, more importantly, first they had to see could they get two stadiums done before you worry about the details. I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that that was actually a, a serious proposal to play two different two different countries. I mean, that's just that blows me away. That blows me away. In well, I'm sure we'll hear more when the reporting comes out yeah. about the specifics. And maybe you're right, Steve. Maybe it was pushback from the players, but I hadn't really heard not that I was following it that closely, but I hadn't really heard pushback from players about having to play for one team in two cities and what that meant for Good point. Well and, and you know, how the, they were yeah. like how would how would the Rays relative to other teams attract free agents? Well, the thought is is you would get paid more because you're working in two cities. Because they're making more money too. So I I mean they were still working out those details. That wasn't Nothing was done yet on that. Okay. I mean, you know, until you get two stadiums, you don't have to worry about the other details, so to speak. Well, and there's no model to look 
mm-hmm. to look off of, right? Right. Just to see, you know, what your projections are that you could be making considerable amount of money. That's a good point. I, I what a mess. Yeah. What an absolute mess. But if it was pushed back from the players, yeah. you said you don't have to worry about this until you get two stadiums. The players and the and the players' association, they are worried about it. Well, and and you're in the middle of a con- you know a collective bargaining. That's what I mean. Negotiation yeah. now, which I don't want to. I don't want to Bruce yeah. Garriock this thing. If this, <laughs> we don't know if it's yeah. that. Did you get Bruce Garriock? We get we we do not know if it was pushed back from the players. Oh my! But I don't think the players are too concerned about the ability to build two stadiums. Right. They're concerned right. about if this thing comes to pass, what does this mean for us? But you haven't heard a lot from the players for a good reason. One, most of the players in the game today won't be playing by the time this plan would have taken place. I mean, the Fair average enough. the average career is, you know, two and a half, three years, whatever it is. So most of the players today aren't going to be playing by the time this would have happened. And, you know, secondly, you didn't have a negotiation window open, which now the players do. So potentially that's part of it. It, it may it may be a part. It may be not. You know, we don't know. We'll find out more today as Stu Sternberg has a press conference. So, and Well, after the Bucks won the Super Bowl, we had Rick Stroud on talking about that. Maybe we should get Topkin on. Well, let's not get Bruce Garriock on. That's for sure. We'll get <laughs> I, I like on. Bruce, but yeah. you know what? I've if never you throw enough stuff out there, there are going to be gonna times stick. when it's gonna you stick. swing and miss a little bit. Yeah. Hey. We've all been there, except on the By show. By the way, before we get to Brian, we should mention yeah. the one bit of news involving the Lightning yesterday, other than the schedule coming out. Jamil Smith claimed by Detroit. I was disappointed. I, my first question was, when is the tribute uh, for Jamel Smith going to be played? <laughs> yeah, they still have two home games left against the Red Wings. Well, I'm going to say brother. the same thing, though, when, when as I said, when Barry Boulay yeah. was claimed. So, yes, he, he gets to play with his brother. That's a great story. Giovanni Smith is on the Red Wings NHL roster. Cap space is not really an issue for the Red Wings, but roster space is. And you do not expand your rosters until after the trade deadline, which is way yeah. down the road. So if Jamel Smith ends up playing for the Red Wings but doesn't secure a roster spot where they have other guys – that they want to play ahead of him and they have to make a decision on him, they may have to put him through waivers again. That's what we saw with Barry Boulay. I, I don't know that that's going to happen. Maybe he's going to find a home with the Red Wings and, and play every single game. And for him, that would be great, and we wish him the best. But we've seen it before that a player is claimed on waivers, gets a shot with a new team, but ends up going back on waivers. So we'll see. I'm not. I'm not willing to close the book on this chapter. He got two cups just with yet. the Lightning, right? He gets well, he was with the organization. Yeah, yeah. I was to say, is this? Uh, I don't know if his name would be on the cup. Don't know how that works because I know you can make exceptions for players that don't fit mm-hmm. the criteria. But his career was an interesting one. We'll get more into that maybe later on. We'll get Brian Engblom coming up here in a couple of minutes. We'll take a break. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. He's Dave Mishkin. I am Greg Lanelli. Steve Ersnick is our producer. Glad you're with us on Lightning Power Play. Hey, it's Seth Kushner from The Block Party, and we have been on a roll this year, and it keeps on going with the return of Ben Bishop. Bish, please, on The Block Party this week. I talked to Ben about any residuals he's received from his Bish, please shirts, what it was like in his final season with 2017 when he knew he was getting shipped out, what it was like when he got traded to the Bolts, and what retirement's been like for him so far. It's The Block Party with Seth Kushner featuring Ben Bishop wherever you get your podcasts. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Glad you're with us here on Lightning Power Play. The show is Power Lunch, noon to one weekdays for you. I am Greg Lanelli, along with Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick is our producer. We do have a game today, and uh, the Lightning take on the Ducks. That's a 10 o'clock start. Pre-game's going to be at 9.30. Today? I know. You need you're in some power. Do I need to go back universe, to sleep? Yeah. Oof. My friend. Listen, I feel like I've been doing that for years. Or the you last could just years. tape that, Steve, and play it tomorrow. Do it. Our guest Brian is like, wait, what? <laughs> I can't do this interview. I need to prepare for a game tonight. <laughs> <laughs> He's always prepared though. Brian Ducks Angle, played last this. night. They they got a pretty good night from Gibson. I watched some of the highlights. They lost two nothing though to Colorado. Did we empty did matter we have- in there? Did we figure out if Perry, is he getting a a tribute? Speaking of video tributes, will he get one? I don't know. Well, he, apparently Maybe? he got a tribute 
when he was suspended for the one game. And maybe oh, that's Brian right. We had, had that conversation on that. Yeah, we had that conversation. Hi, Brian. How are we doing, fellas? Yeah, it's his first game back, isn't it? I thought I read that somewhere. Is it his first game back, Anna? Well, he he was in street clothes because remember he got he laid that hit on Ryan Ellis in the Winter Classic when Dallas played Nashville. Oh, okay. and was suspended for five games. And one of the five games that he didn't play in because he was suspended was the one game Dallas played in Anaheim that year. So apparently, he was. He was acknowledged, but it wasn't like he was in uniform. So we'll see. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, with his accomplishments and everything, you would think that there would be a full-on sort of whatever you want to call it, tribute, certainly, almost celebration. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he deserved it for what he's done. I mean, cup winner and a cornerstone guy and, you know, the MVP and scoring title and all that stuff, I, I would assume. But uh, it'll be a strange feeling for him, for sure. I'm sure it was to go back. But to get on the ice is is very different. Um, I still remember going back to Montreal the first time, you know, after I got traded. That was my first trade from Montreal to Washington. And going back with the Capitals and playing, especially in Montreal, oh, it was it was painful. It, it was. It was painful. I was nervous as hell. I was not looking forward to the game. Um, and I just wanted it to be over, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, you know, you've got those butterflies and, you know, you probably don't want to hit your former teammates, you know, your old teammates. And maybe that first game back, maybe it gets a little easier as as the years go on. Who knows? But I'm curious. I, I want to ask you about Corey Perry just in general because I had a few questions about what we saw against the Kings and the four defensemen. But you mentioned Corey Perry. Has he um, surprised you, Brian, at all with his skill set playing basically on a third line and, and seeing a little bit of power play time? But are you are you surprised how good he's looked here, especially over the last month? And do you, do you still feel like that's his that's his role for this team? It's going to be a bottom six, or do you feel like there's maybe some intrigue to see if if there's a bit more there i'm i'm not surprised no um at the beginning of the year when you first signed uh you know i've said all along i think it's great signing because i'm a fan of his uh he 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 has an edge to his game on top of everything else and from you know especially recently players have talked more about how you know things that he speaks up in the locker room he's very he's he's very uh confident in himself that's for sure and so he hasn't taken really any time at all from what I can see from the outside in fitting into the team. I watch him on the planes, you know, and travel. And he's up and moving around and talking to guys more than anybody else on the team. Like he'll go and sit on the arm of the chair and talk to the three Russians who sit together for a while. And then he'll go to the card players, you know, at their table and stand there and watch them for a while. He'll wander up to the, top, to the front of the plane and talk to some of the younger guys. Everybody sort of sits in groups, so, right? Everybody has their groups on the plane. Every team is like that. And, and he's the one that – and he's – it's his first year. And he was doing this, you know, very early on. So – and from what I understand in the locker room, like he has no problem saying things, you know, like uh, – when the team's not playing very well, that's mostly when guys speak up and, you know, it's about focus and what are we, what are we doing? And, you know, what do we have to do? That's always the conversation. And because he's been around for a long time, he's been successful. He is listened to by not just young guys, but by Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman. You need those voices. And it's really important to come from a guy like him. I have a lot of respect for Corey Perry. I said at the beginning of the year, if he could fit in, if, he could fit into the number one power play. He could score 20 goals this year, back to 20 goals. I really felt that. And he's about, he's halfway there now. I think he still has a shot, even though he's not on the number one power play. He was for a while and, you know, you get overlaps and whatever, but the power play was going pretty good. And then coach, you know, Cooch went down in game three. That changed everything as we all know. And then the, you know, the development of the power plays went the way it went, uh, Coaches don't give much time to changes. They can't afford to. They'll take a look, whether it's Corey Perry or Matthew Joseph or Steven Stamko, you know, whatever. You put combinations to go together, you give it a little time, and you go, no, that's no good. We got to move on. We have to win. That's what we get paid to do. So there's a lot that goes into that. And Corey Perry has certainly been in the middle of it. I'm, I was intrigued by the, by the acquisition. 
I'm still intrigued by him, and I'll be really interested to see what his numbers look like at the end of the year. Brian, I cannot remember ever seeing, since I've been broadcasting NHL games, a team have to play a full game with only four defensemen. Now, sometimes you start a game and you lose a couple of defensemen and you have to make do with four. And, you know, before the game against the Kings, Chief was doing the game with me. He said, you know, when I was in Philly, Mark Howe would play like 35, 36 minutes a night. (laughs) I guess I'm wondering, like, is today's game that much different than 30, 40 years ago when you would see a Mark Howe play a lot or a Bobby Orr before that. And why why is it so unusual to see defensemen play in that mid-30s or higher now where, where even if they're dressing six, you're not seeing guys play, you know, 36, 37 minutes a night? Yeah. Yeah, it's changed the pace of the game, the overall pace of the game. There's no drop off. Um, You know, there were fast players and games would get fast back in the day. But the fourth line guys, that's where the drop off was. So from from the top players to the fourth line guys, uh, when the fourth line got out there and you're and you're, you know, their your top line defensemen are out there playing, you know, 25, 30, 35 minutes. Yeah, I guess Mark Howe averaged something like 33 or 34 minutes for an entire season. Because he was able to, and it also depends on style. Now, he was not an overly physical guy. You know, decent size for Markow, but he was such an easy skater. But he also know how to manage his game. And it's really all about managing your game. You're not at full speed a lot, and especially if you're Markow. Other guys are working way harder. Other guys are more physical. They can't do it. There are certain games, certainly, where you're getting hit and you're targeted and you're, you know, it's the physical play that really kicks the heck out of you, right? And so that on top of, you know, all the skating, that is is very demanding. Well, the pace of the game now, the way the puck moves, the amount of passing. There used to be, like the star players used to have the puck on their stick a lot. And to be honest with you, I miss that part of the game. The Brian Traches, the Marcel Dion's, the Gilbert Perros, Guy Lafleur, on and on. Go back to Bobby Orr, go back to, you know, Phil Esposito's era. Phil was no, you know, fast skater. He had the puck a lot, right? Um, so, because there was gaps. The, the five-man game where you see all five guys from both teams in the same TV screen all the time. That's the way the game is now and has been for a long time. It's not the way it was. There were tremendous gaps. The wingers stayed on the boards. The centers and the defense were in the middle of the ice. And then they, you know, went to the corners in their own zone. It was a much, it was a controlled game in a very different way. But there was space out there. There's no space now. So you're fighting through that, the pace of the game. Um, it really is difficult for players to play uh, night in and night out uh, when you're playing at a high pace like that, even as good a condition as they're in right now. Um, it's just a very different game. You can't manage your game as well, even as a top-level defenseman like Victor Hedman. He knows how to do it to his best. I think a better example might be Nikita Kucherov. Kuch gets to high speed in a game maybe two or three times in an entire game because he's already moving and he's already knows what he's going to do. He gives and goes so much and he, he, he actually slows the game down where Braden Point is accelerating, it seems, every time he gets the puck. Kucherov, more often than not, is slowing down. He's already headed to an open space. He's waiting to attract people, and then he's going to give it to Braden or he's going to give it to somebody else. I think Cooch gets the high speed only a couple times. So he could manage a 30- or 35-minute game way better than Braden Point or maybe even some nights on Victor Hedman. So it depends on who you are and what your style of play is. Brian Engbaum joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Brian, is the schedule going to be potentially something that ends up helping the Lightning heading into the playoffs. We know they've played a lot of hockey the last two years, but with the postponements this year and the All-Star break coming up, are the Lightning potentially going to be pretty fresh at the most important time? Yeah, I would think they would. Um, I brought this up the other day in, in uh, a couple of games ago um, that with the games that have been uh had to re- be rescheduled. Lightning only had a couple, right? In comparison to like the Islanders and Ottawa, who had like eight or nine games. Lightning, what, three? Uh, so big difference. So 
in past years, we there's always been a bit of an imbalance in a schedule. It's just the quirks of a long season for, for 32 teams. So you might have a team that has played two or three games fewer. Um, once in a while, maybe four. But nine? Holy mackerel. You know, that was, that was the difference. So if you're top teams or a good team and you've got games in hand, to me, and I think to a lot of people, it was always seemed as this is a positive thing. This is a chance, like, to really get something going. And, there, you know, it's it, it just a, a good thing. But to me now, when you have makeup games, the makeup games have a very negative uh, connotation to me. And it's like, oh, no. So it's exact opposite for me. So I think the teams more like the Lightning, especially the good teams at the top, are in the driver's seat because they played their games. The makeup games seem to be a negative and a, a, a drag on your system and a fear of coaches and, and players and everything of like, oh, no, we've got to play this and we've got to all these extra extra games it almost seems like extra games. Meanwhile, you're just you're catching up. So to me, it's very different than than uh, in the past where you had games in hand. That's just my own personal opinion of what I see and feel from the league. We were talking in the first segment, Brian, that the Lightning's three games, the makeup games, are kind of in the middle of the break so that I think it's nine days from their home game against San Jose to the first makeup date, and then from the New Jersey makeup date, it's like eight days till they resume the schedule playing at home against Edmonton. Do you like that as opposed to having the games lumped either at the beginning or the end and having closer to two weeks off? Do you like that that seven to eight day break on on either side in terms of allowing the players to maybe rest up and not get rusty? Yes, I do. Um, I I think I haven't studied it. I haven't re-logged in in my calendar. I'm old fashioned, guys. I have my book on my desk right now. (laughs) And yeah, I saw the email and I've seen the dates, but I haven't plugged them back in and sort of just, I just kind of sit here and gaze at the calendar, you know, go, okay, yeah, that's where they are. This is where it goes. And yeah, but I'm I'm aware of, of the gaps that you're talking about. And I, yes, I do. I like that. I would not want to have two weeks off ever. That's an eternity. Um, you, you need days off in the schedule. The Lightning, I think, have, have, have what is it, how many? One, two, three, four, five, six official days off, and then another, uh, at least one more for travel, like coming back from San Jose on Sunday, coming up here. That's a lot of days off in a month for me. You know, back in the day, it was like, we never had that. No chance you had that many days off where you didn't go to the rink in a month. Um, again, the game is different and the players are in such good shape and they manage themselves well and the coaches manage them well. Um, but I, I like that there's only, you know, a week or seven or eight days or whatever on either side, two weeks to me, I'd be losing my mind and it's difficult. You lose the edge a little bit every day over a period of time when you're not on the ice playing regularly. That's what we talk about when players get hurt, right? Players out for two weeks. I, you know, you give them, okay, we got to give them, you know, th- two, three, four games, whatever, to, to get back in sync, right? Because you've just missed so much time. Game, game situation, game time is totally different than training in the gym or practice time. So, yes, I like it, and uh, I think it's great. Whether that was, that was good luck or the NHL is trying to do that to all these teams, um, good on them. But yeah, I think that's the way to do it. Same time, looks like they'll get a week off. And I think, yes, that should keep them very fresh. And, uh, you know, you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, the home stretch down to the playoffs. And this team is experienced, has an experienced winning core. And I think that'll set them up for, here we go, lace them up a little tighter. And, uh, you know, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, let's get into that part. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. There's not much to nitpick when it comes to the Lightning's play this year. That being said, Brian, did we get an idea where the Lightning wanted to upgrade when they claimed Riley Nash off waivers? I know that experiment didn't last long, but if they can make it work cap-wise, do you think getting another veteran forward who has some playoff experience is something they should look to do? Yeah, Greg, every 
every team that's in a decent playoff hunt, whether you are the favorite right at the top or you're maybe that 15th or 20th team that people think, well, they're a playoff team, you know, let's see. That's a, that's a lot of teams to, to bring in. What does everybody want? Yeah, more experienced forwards, especially at center. If you can get them, that's always the, 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 the wish. And then another experienced defenseman. We hear that every single year, right? You want that depth. And when they, when they acquired Nash, a lot of it had to do with the injuries that they had. And, you know, Braden Point was out for, for weeks there. And Cooch was out. Um, and so you needed some guys who could fill in. And then they're worried about COVID, you know. And the coach and the management, Julian Breezeball, is going, oh, what if two guys go down at center? right from COVID, even for a couple of games, you know, where are we at? And now we've got, we got to, you know, switch wingers into center spots who haven't played center. You, you always need that. So to answer your question, yes, uh, I think that they would like to have that. Um, I, I think that uh, having experience on your fourth line, third, fourth line, however it's going to sort out, that's something that they're still developing, right? And we're, we're thinking about Kachuk and Radish here specifically, right? The two young men that they brought up and have earned their dues and earned their chance with the team. And so they're still finding themselves in the NHL. What's that going to be like when the puck drops in the playoffs, when every mistake gets amplified and there are a lot of one goal games. So I think that having the one goal games and seeing the team play the right way and these guys be part of it. And you look at the games the way, same as I do. And you see John Cooper, Put those guys out in key situations in a one-goal game, face-offs in their own zone. Because how else are you going to find out? You can't. You have to put them there, and you have to see them fail a few times, and then sit them down again and go, okay, watch how it's done, and then okay, let's do this again. That's how you find out, right? It's it is a certain amount of trial and error because they have to find themselves. How do I get the job done? How does Taylor Radish? I'm Taylor Radish. I'm going to do it a little different than Kachuk. They have similar styles, but they're not exactly the same. You don't want everybody to be the same. Cal Foote's still going through that process. He's done it at the American League level, but how do I get it done? What are my limitations? What do I have to get done when I get stuck out there against the top players on the other team? Do I run to the bench for a change? No, <laughs> you can't. So you have to be put in those situations, fed a little bit here and there, and Coop's really good at that. You have to do it so that you know what you have, yes or no, when it comes to the trade deadline. And that's where Coop and Julian will sit down and go, no, I don't think this kid's ready. Uh, this one is good. We should be able to rely on him, but we need X. And that's how the process goes. Well, one guy who's been given more to do this year is Matthew Joseph. And he's been bouncing around the lineup a little bit, top six, bottom six, playing with different guys from game to game sometimes. But Chief and I felt that the game against the Kings might have been his best game of the year, and that game included an incredible assist on the shorthanded goal and a terrific finish on his goal. Can a game like that propel him in terms of confidence moving forward into the second half? I hope so, Dave. Um, he has million-dollar legs, that's for sure. But his hands don't keep up to that. You know, let's be frank. I mean, the results show themselves. He gets, for me, he gets too jumpy. He's jumpy with the puck. And when push comes to shove, he'll, he'll put in all the effort. He'll do some really good things. And then, like, say, an example, he'll get to the blue line on a rush, go to dump it in, and dump it like eight feet, you know, and turn it over. And then he's going to the bench for a change. I'm like, what, what was that? Get it deep. Be sure. Do the right thing. You can't, you can't do that in the roles that he is playing. You can't do that. I, I think, I don't know how to explain it. Does he get too flighty? I think he, to me, it's jumpy. He gets too jumpy with the puck. Like settle down. There are times definitely to use that speed. But then once you cruise into the open area, don't skate right through it. Use it. And then when you get in the offensive zone and you've done your job to get the puck from inside your own zone sometimes all the way through the neutral zone because you're a great skater and you're scaring the heck out of the defenseman on the other side, by the way, then don't undo it all by getting jumpy, throwing it prematurely into the middle of the ice 
and hoping that something happens. And too often, it's a turnover. Here we go, the other way. You've just undone all the good things that you did. So I don't know where Matt, for me, he's not at that next stage yet. I think he's got okay hands. And yes, he has moved up and down the roles. And they've given him that because he can skate. And it's a skating game today. But also, it's a careful game down the stretch and in the playoffs. And if you don't show that you 95% of the time make the right plays and you don't make those little flubs with the puck or bad decisions, and bad decisions can come in many different forms. And I think just too often that he he has four or five different ways of, of not doing the right thing with the puck. So how much ice time he will get and on which line will depend. He's a valuable guy. He can play up because some teams get stale and they'll say, well, let's put him with Stammer's line because he'll go in. He is in on the forecheck. He turns pucks over, creates opportunities. That's the hope when you put him with Stammer. When you put him with Kucherov and Point, they're different kinds of guys. Can he play with them very long? In my eyes, we haven't seen it much because he doesn't finish very well because he gets too jumpy. And, and like he's, he'll get a great scoring chance and he, you can get opportunities to play with the big boys, but if you can't finish, you don't stay there very long because the big boys get paid to make plays and to put points on the board. And sometimes that means setting other people up. If you can't finish, you don't play there. End of story. So then you go back down to the third or fourth line. Fourth line means energy. It means getting pucks in deep. It means spending more time in the offensive zone than your zone. If you're not making plays in your own end properly on the breakout, then you're not going to play much there either, and you're going to be in and out of the lineup. That's basically from in a, you know, a small synopsis of what it means to play first all the way down to fourth line and what your duties are. Uh, you're responsible to try and create some offense. You have to do it, how many times do we hear, the right way because it takes an explanation of different scenarios to explain what the right way is overall. Uh, there are a lot of pieces to it, and it depends where you are in the lineup as what the right way is. Brian Engbaum joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. One more question for you, Brian. And again, this, this is coming from somebody who, A, hasn't played a minute of NHL hockey and apparently thought there was a game tonight, but it is tomorrow. So take that for what it is when I ask you this question. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, Eric Chernak has missed more than a few games blocking shots, and we know that's a part of his game. It's not all of his game, but it's part of it. We know how valuable he is. Dave and I were talking about this a couple of days ago. As a guy who played the position, does Chernak need to alter that part of his game, especially if it leads to him missing time? No, he can't. He can't afford okay. to uh, because it's it's part of who he is, a big part of who he is. And it would throw him off if he doesn't come out to block a shot, especially on a penalty kill. What is wh how is he going to handle it? Yeah, he could stay on his feet and just sort of put his feet together and be a smaller, you know, smaller block uh, rather than laying down sideways and have that width and the odds of getting hit with the puck or successfully blocking it go up exponentially. You know, you could just stand there and go out like an old-fashioned forward. We used to call it a flamingo, right? Guys that go out there and <laughs> lift one leg because, yeah, I'm going out there, but do I really want to block this? Hell no. I got one leg in the air. That's why we called it the flamingo. And you go, you had two eyes closed, and you go, did he shoot yet? Oh, it didn't hit me good. That was, you know, kind of the attitude that forwards had going out to the point back in the day. Well, that's long gone, and you are expected as a forward. When you're a defenseman, which is part of your DNA for Chernak and McDonough in particular, that's how they do it. They sacrifice themselves. And believe me, I worry about those guys every day, every game, and uh, did in prior years when it seemed like they were able to withstand these shots all the time and nothing bad would happen. But the law of averages goes, <laughs> the more you do it, the more that puck is going to find an area where it's exposed bone um, and flesh and whatever, and it's going to hurt and it's going to knock you out of the lineup. But you just take your chances. Um, I think there's a time and a place. If you're up six to two, I don't think I want to see him sacrificing. If one goes in, find another way, go out, use your stick, try to deflect it. So, I mean, there's ways to be smart too, right? 
But overall, can he change? No, he's he's got to play what makes him successful. Well, that's why we wanted to ask you. We had a, a nice conversation about it a couple of days ago, and uh, I, I think that is probably the the right answer. You can't change the way you go about playing. Well, and apparently you can't change the schedule. That's not going to happen tonight. You, just were, you were just tomorrow. anxious to have a game. It's been two days. I would have been connected and I've been like, guys, where are you? <laughs> Nobody would have been there. <laughs> Look, I, I think I think the Lightning. I think the Lightning would have signed up for a road game in Anaheim tonight and not had a back to back to have to go yes. to San Jose. My yeah, that's not yeah, that's, that's not true. the way the cards fell. We'll yeah, and that, but this out. this Anaheim team, I'm I'm really anxious to to see this team. I've watched them a little bit. You know, the West Coast teams we're busy with our own schedules, and you watch games on off nights, and you change channels and whatever, and you get a a little snippet here and there. But I'm really anxious to see them against our guys and and see you know what it looks like and what it feels like and why some of these young guys like Troy Terry, you know, who I'm sure you know a lot of people on the East Coast are still getting used to who he is. He leads them in points. He got 22 mm-hmm. goals already. And Trevor Zegras is really, you know, taking everybody's imagination with the plays, imaginative yeah. plays that he's made already. He's second on the team in scoring. So there, there are guys and things to watch that, you know, it's, it's best uh, observed watching him against your own team. So for me, this is going to be a really interesting game to see exactly what Anaheim uh, feels like this year and why they are surprising people. Um, a lot of people at the beginning of the year didn't pick any of the three California teams to be in the running for a playoff team. And they're what uh, tied for first and second and third, something like that. I don't have it right in front of me, but at least, you know, they're in the top in that Pacific and um, it's stunning. So it'd be interesting to, uh, to watch them. Yeah, for sure. Get to see Kevin Shattenkirk back and uh, see what he's, he's like yeah. there. He's Ryan, a favorite of mine. I always enjoy yeah, talking to, to Kevin. He's a very intelligent guy. Always had a, a good perspective about the team and his own play and was always very forthright, even about himself, about how he thought he was playing and, you know, uh, the opposition and give you some insights. So uh, Kevin, always a very interesting guy and good to see him having another good year. He's their leading scoring D-man too. And that's certainly not shocking either, is it? No, especially on that power play, right, where he's – such yeah. a vital part of moving the puck and getting shots through. Well, Brian, great job. Uh, as always, we enjoy talking hockey with you, even if it's a non-game day. And uh, we Are you will, sure? Uh, do it against it. Well, sure? I'm going to go take a nap and wake up and see where I see where I end up. <laughs> you've, you've got listeners running for the calendar right now. Cause they have no idea when the next game is, Greg. Well it's, a, it's the last time I'm listening to Power Lunch and that, and that guy. <laughs> All right, Brian, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks, Brian. All right. Okay, thanks, guys. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I need more than luck. Maybe some alcohol or something (laughs) tonight or some sleep. (laughs) It was funny. Dave, I I was sitting there, and I was texting Steve, and I go, all right, um, I want to use some Brian sound for tonight's game. And then Steve just, you know, casually said, no, we don't play tonight. We we play tomorrow. You didn't get the joke (laughs) that David said. I said, no, no, I missed that. I missed that. So I, I'm sure our audience got a little. Well, and this on top I. of all of the other schedule changes that Incredible. happened in the last 24 hours. The biggest this one has change. been this one has been on the schedule from the start I of the know, year. I know. I know. Yeah, there's no excuse. I'll By tell the way, you what, though. Yeah. I needed a nap. Not so much. You were like, take a nap on Tuesday. I did not take a nap on Tuesday. I yeah. needed a nap yesterday afternoon. I hit a wall. Did you get it? It was after power lunch. I had yeah. a power nap. I had one of those naps where you wake up and you're like, where am I? Like what? <laughs> what just happened? I was like Delirium City. I uh, took a trip to Delirium City, and then I had to kind of shake out the cobweb. So we had a, a night. It was a couple of days ago where it was the late game. Yeah. So I didn't. I didn't get to bed till two. Yeah. And then Hurricane Ilaria woke up at five. This was after the Kings game. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So I, I might have been a little foggy that day. Um. And then both girls are home because they're not feeling well. So that that is like just, I mean, brings you back to when things were locked down early, <laughs> early on. And yeah. you're just at wit's end at times. But uh, a power nap, I think, might be good. I mean, I may need to do it. We'll see if I if I can. 
Just wake up in time for tomorrow night's game. Actually, wake up in for time to do a show with me for the tomorrow. Show. Yes, yeah. I'll make sure I'm for the show, and yeah. then uh, I'll sleep for the time. All right, so tomorrow we'll get you set for the game, but today <laughs> yes. we hope you enjoyed whatever we threw your way. And, uh, again, we appreciate Brian hopping on with us. We'll be on with you again noon to 1 tomorrow. Partner, good job. Appreciate it, as always. Great points. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks to Steve Versnick as well. Thanks to you for listening. Sorry about the confusion. Hope you didn't uh, change your plans for that. And uh, we'll get it going again tomorrow noon to 1 on Lightning Power Play.